Welcome to another episode of Conduct Detrimental. Dan Loss joined in the captain seat by Evan Mattel. What's up, buddy? Hey, Dan. Good to have me back on the podcast, you know, since uh, chess date, as you called it. Yes. Well, you said that the Hans Niemann uh, dispute was the top story of 2022. I think the I public voted and they said you were wrong about that. But sometimes the public says things that they are just factually incorrect <laughs> about. Do you yeah, know what I'm about to that say? Is true. I do. It's a lot of opinions. And uh, I think I know one that you're not going to agree with. Well, let's do this. Let's before we before we get into the fun stuff, a reminder, our podcast is sponsored by Themis Bar View, top bar prep company in the galaxy. If you are listening to this episode and you're like, what happened to the normal conduct detrimental feed? Why did it disappear? We are in the process of switching over from one podcast host to another. So it looks like we started a new feed. It'll, I think, transfer over eventually. But if you are wondering why you're not getting your episodes as normal, we get to do some uh, back-end business. But we, uh, actually, let's do this. Let's do this, Evan. So, you know, you know, I teach at New York Law School. It is uh, my my happy place, my favorite time of the week. I come in, we go for like an hour and 45 minutes. We have some fun. So it's my second time teaching it. The reviews I got back the first year, really good. They basically said, Professor Lust is great, but he's got to slow down. He talks too fast, which is 100% true. It is not the first time they've been told that. So I get the reviews back today, and uh, I won't breach any confidences with New York Law School, but I will say, by and large, the reviews were were very strong. I'll read, I'm going to read two of it just to get a flavor of this. Okay, you ready okay. for this? I'm ready. Professor Lust is one of the best professors I have had at New York Law School. He is engaging, and he gets the whole class interested in the topics making them clear and straightforward. Okay, that, that sounds like a good one, right? Yeah, that's nice. That's a nice review. Professor Lust has been the best professor I've had at the school. He really understands and knows the topics of his course. He connects with students in a way that lets us learn the best way we can. Another good one, right? There you go. Best professor. Okay, we've got a couple of these. Truly cares. He's a natural. Great stuff. Okay, then I get one. Evan, I'm just going to read it. I'm just going to read it. And it, it is affecting yours truly. Quote, the professor, capital P, the professor was oftentimes a jerk. I don't know about that, Evan. I don't know about that one. I've had no jerk experiences with you in the, what, we've known each other over a year now. And uh, you've been nothing but nice to me and everyone I've talked to. So didn't even call you by name either. The professor. It's like I was that end one guy. You know, you know, the professor, <laughs> like the professor. No, I, I think sometimes I have some playful banter, but but being a jerk seems to be a character issue. So listen, the good thing is that we have multiple reviews. By and large, they're very, very good. But that's why we can't always listen to the one person. We got to listen to the crowd. But uh, right. Evan, I'm sorry for your sake. We let the entire Twitterverse vote and no one said that chess should be in there. So, you know, that was like a large sample size. How about that? Yeah, that well, who, you know, who listens to Twitter opinions anyway? Am I being a jerk right now? Could that be what's happening? Am I learning? Maybe. This? Maybe people are interpreting that as, a, as jerk behavior. Maybe that's what it was. They heard the last episode of the podcast and they go, and they thought you were being, being too mean to Evan. Although I did vote you unanimously because I was the only one voting on it. The kind of detrimental rookie of the year. So it's all, all in good fun. So uh, let's, let's do this. We have a lot of topics today. We're going to bring on Matt Timpanic at some point in this episode to talk about some, we'll call it some criminal issues. That is the, the dark case coming out of Alabama University with Darius Miles with the capital murder charge. We're going to talk about that. Obviously, we don't pick the topics here on Conduct Detrimental. The Sports Law Universe does. So we're going to talk about a capital murder charge for an active college basketball player. We're going to have to bring on Matt. Odell Beckham had a viral video that went out with 
him on a plane being uh, allegedly disruptive. The video, I think, tells a little bit of a different story. So Matt's going to cover both of those. But for you and I, Evan, we have one of these fun episodes where we can cover a lot, uh, a lot of topics. I don't think there's any one particular topic that is permeating the sports law world. So we cover all the, uh, you know, the B, the B plus stories, just like my curve at New York Law School. Can't give everyone A's. <laughs> That's the jerk right there. Can't give everyone A's. I can't. I can't give everyone A's. So I, listen, I would love to have a non-curve class, but I've, I've dealt with, uh, and I'll, maybe this is a rule of thumb to our, our law students listening and maybe some at New York Law School. Some people are going to be upset if they get a B minus or a B or, or C plus. The the professors, when you have a large class, I have 60 or 58 students in New York Law School. I have to give bad grades. Like I I love everyone, even the student who I don't know who called me a jerk. I probably like them. I don't I don't know anything. I didn't dislike any students. Um, but if you do get a, I won't say the specific grade, if you get a good grade, let's just say, listen, like I don't know, I can't change your grade after the fact. That's the thing, unless there's like a scoring error or something like that. But if you get a very good grade in the class, I'll define a very good grade. Use your judgment. And I have a call with you where you're upset versus someone that got an actual bad grade and they're upset. I, my my impressions of someone might change based on their uh, reaction to a grade. So just always be mindful. I'm not going to be everyone's professor that listens to the podcast. But like, you know, I think use your judgment on when uh, to pick your spots. I had one student, Evan, who reached out after class with a very kind note that they loved the class. It was their favorite class. And that person, I'm trying to hook up with a potential uh, employment opportunity. So listen, you're always, always in the the business of, you know, networking and all that good stuff. But anyway, I, I digress. Uh, Evan, I'm told you're starting your sports law class tonight. Is that accurate? It is 8 p.m., 8 to 10 p.m. on Hofstra's campus tonight with your friend, uh, Professor Bua. So that's that's exciting. Actually, he was the most recent guest on our podcast. So he's yeah, a friend there of you the go. show, Andrew Bua. Very topical. Yeah, so eight eight to ten sounds brutal. Whose idea was that to teach at ten o'clock? Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm gonna ask. The, I'm gonna ask Bua and ask if it was his idea. Or maybe we could uh, put this thing on Zoom so I'm not traveling thirty minutes, you know, here and back. Please don't ask him that because it was probably his idea. So don't get off on the wrong foot with Bua. Okay, so this is what we're gonna do. We got five topics. Before we do that, a reminder: our podcast is sponsored by Themis Bar Review. We are about a month out from the New York Bar. If you are still panicking. But what you're going to do for the bar, maybe you're worried about the July bar. Take a trip down to Themis Bar Review. Use our promo code CONDUCT for a lot of money off. Again, some of you, I just say to reach out to me directly. I'll hook you up directly with the business people there. So uh, you can find me on social media at Sports Law Lust. Or sometimes my, you can just email me. I get some emails from students, but all good. Okay, so Evan, here are the topics in no particular order. Ready? Yep. Ready for this? I'm ready. Jeff Molina, UFC, mm-hmm. Sports Betting Saga. Jalen Rashada, the maybe, maybe not quarterback of the University of Florida in the NIL controversy, a lawsuit involving friend of the show, frenemy of the show, Rusty Harden, the former maybe slash ongoing attorney of Deshaun Watson, an interesting one. How do we pronounce the goalie, the Vegas goalie's name? Is it Laner? Robin Laner? 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 Laner, I believe. Laner, a $50 million uh, bankruptcy based on the, we call it an exotic snake farm. Is that what yeah. we want to call it? <laughs> yeah, that, that's what it is. Uh, and last but not least, Cliff Kingsbury, the coach, or the most recent coach of the Arizona Cardinals, has since been, I don't want to say he's been terminated for cause or if he's just been terminated. A lot of different things, but reports swirling as to what the impact of his contract is on his recent trip to Thailand. So we'll talk about yeah, yeah. potentially the duty to mitigate damages, all that fun stuff. Okay, uh, Evan, I will leave this to you. Where do you want to take us in our wild world of sports law? Let's run through the Jeff Molina thing because it's it just came out. It's a pretty big story, actually, I think. It ties into uh, other Dan and the gambling stuff. 
So for those of you who don't know, Jeff Molina is a fighter in the UFC, um, and he was recently suspended because of his involvement with uh, James Krause, who is a coach in the UFC, not anymore, uh, obviously, but Krause had created a 1% club, a betting club, and uh, Molina had gone on social media to brag about Krause's betting club paying for his bills, including mortgage, car note, all because of Krause's picks. Now, all this comes to a head because Krauss, as an MMA coach, may have inside information. Krauss was an agent for an offshore gambling website. And forgive me on the pronunciation of this name, but Nwer Denbiki is a fighter uh, who is fighting Minner. He started at minus 420 and odds went to minus 420 when Minner was revealed to have a significant knee injury entering the contest. So we've covered this in the past with Trent Reismith over from Bloody Elbow, which, you know, I I think is, again, the the long and short, which, you know, uh, Evan, you did a fantastic job saying that name. I'm not even going to try. But we'll say the Sharks over at, uh, you know, various betting sites picked up that there was suspicious betting pattern for an undercard fight, a prop on a fight, you know, to not go the distance and that fight ends within like a minute into the fight. So all of these suspicious things hit. And then you have Kraus, who's apparently in the corner. He's a sports betting guy. And then the big thing, Evan, which we should address it, right? For whatever reason, UFC fighters were allowed to bet on other fights on the card, allowed yep. to bet on themselves. That seems to be something that should have long been outlawed, um, you know, now that we're in 2022 or now we're in 2023. In covering that story, I think, right, Evan, wasn't Molino suspended at least temporarily? Yeah. Yeah. So he got suspended. Uh, what was the report from a couple hours ago? So he was suspended due to substantial involvement in the Kraus gambling scandal. I think maybe it was like he was a suspect initially. So the update is that he's being suspended. So here's my favorite line. I actually saw this come up, uh, you know, when we were doing our research. In touting the club, Molina stated as follows, quote, in stocks, this is called insider trading. In MMA betting, it's called James Krause. You know, yeah. and then you go on, he says what you said about paying the mortgages and whatnot. So, you know, it's it's not illegal until it's illegal. And, you know, Molina's learning the hard way. Krause is learning the hard way. It, it seems so odd. Like, it's, it's one thing to be a former MMA fighter and start a sports betting podcast. Like, I have no issue with that. But if you're a coach and you're training guys and maybe you're giving out information on your own fighters, like, we've crossed a line that I don't think we've ever seen in sports. So, a pretty important fallout now. It's this, maybe it's the second domino and, and what could be several more. Are you an MMA guy? Is that, do, you, do you know this yeah, guy? Yeah, yeah, no. Molina? I'm big into MMA. I don't think I've heard of this guy Molina or even Norton Beaky um, before, but still, I mean, for someone who watches MMA, someone who bets MMA, you know, it's it's disturbing to hear that this kind of stuff has gone on. Uh, I would assume won't be going on in the future, but uh, it, it's a shame it took something like this to bring it to light. So uh, obviously we'll keep tabs on that. UFC has been under some fire recently between uh, Dana White, who uh, had his uh, slap league show slightly delayed, but then Dana White's still out there promoting it. It's an odd, an odd scene with UFC. So it was a big banner year for 2022 for the UFC. Year over year, they continued to grow. And then the sports betting saga, they're, they're, I don't know, what do you want to call Dana White? The commissioner? What is he? Uh, what's President. His President. President of the UFC. We'll see if this slows them down, but I'm beginning to think the UFC is somewhat like Teflon, that they can just, as they say, tweet, tweet through these things and nothing seems to come of it. Okay, let's jump into what's going on in the NIL world. So whenever we cover NIL segments, they are sponsored by the law firm of Orr and Horgan. Those are our guys in the NIL world. They work with collectives. They work with players. I think they work with some schools too, but those are our guys over in Nebraska. They are disruptors in that space over in Nebraska. And, um, you know, they're just our friends here. So if you have issues on a college sports front, you can certainly reach out to them. And if you are a listener, which we have many in the great state of Nebraska, certainly reach out directly to them. 
uh, Evan, with our new podcast platform, we're moving over to Anchor. We can actually see some pretty interesting demographics on our listeners. So when I say like we have a lot of listeners in Nebraska, I just judge that based off of social media. But now I can actually see that. How about that? No, you could break it down, you know, demographic by demographic. I'm surprised you didn't have that before. I have that on uh, on my podcast platform. Well, we've been on the wrong podcast platform for some amount of time. No longer. <laughs> no longer, says the jerk. Okay, so let's stick in the NIL world again, courtesy of the law firm of Orr and Horgan. NIL Florida fiasco. Evan, has this been on your radar at all, this Jalen Rashada stuff? Yeah, I mean, how can it not? Personally, I've been diving deep into NIL stuff. Um, it's starting to look like more of something I want to do in the future. And this is a pretty big deal, especially some of the quotes from, uh, from Eddie Rojas and then how the, the whole thing played out. Let me give a brief timeline, then I'll, I'll take your thoughts on, on the current side of it. So Jalen Rashada, I don't know, depending on the, the scouting service you use, he's a top 10 quarterback. We'll put him right around there. Well, you want to say top 15, that's fine, but he's one of the top quarterbacks in the entire country. And remind everybody who doesn't follow the college sports space that closely, there's like, you know, a hundred schools out there. So if you can get yourself a top 15 quarterback in a particular class, there's some value to that. So on June 26th of 2022, Jalen Rashada commits to Miami. And at the time, I remember it well, there was a dispute as to whether Florida or Miami was going to get on him. It wasn't really clear who was going to get him, but he commits to Miami. Okay, so fast forward, November 10th. So five months, four and a half, five months. There's a report that comes out that Rashada and a Florida collective agree on an NIL deal exceeding $13 million. And he agrees to flip his commitment to the Gators. A lot of this reporting is courtesy of The Athletic. I want to make sure we give them their, their due props here. So wouldn't be the first time that happened. A guy flipped from school A to school B because of money. That's the NIL era. $13 million sounds like a lot. It sounds like a lot for a guy who's not named Arch Manning or a number one or number two guy. But, you know, it was a bidding war between Miami and Florida. You could flip a guy from to Miami to Florida. It's not going to shock anybody if you say $13 million. So on December 7th, the collective CEO sends a termination letter regarding the contract. There are conflicting reports about why the deal crumbled and who pledged to pay what. December 21st, we're getting close to the present. Billy Napier, the coach on National Signing Day, his news conference is delayed by an hour. Rashada's name initially missing from the list of signees, is added at the last minute. Okay, interesting. Between December 29th and January 3rd, Rashada and his family make glowing comments about Napier and indicate the recruit's plans to enroll early. January 10th, uh, at least as of January 10th, he had not planned, or not the name wasn't listed at that point. And I think there were some comments that he still planned to, but it wasn't clear. And then maybe the last piece, and I'll turn it over to you, some mulling reports of potential litigation relating to that failed $13 million deal. There have been, again, some reports unconfirmed by the people that, that need to confirm them that a replacement deal has resurfaced maybe in the seven figures. It's not $13 million. It's the last I checked, there's a couple, maybe a zero missing there. So, Evan, I will turn it over to you. This could be our first NIL deal litigation. What say you, Evan? Yeah, so I think it's a really interesting situation uh, overall. The early spring enrollment deadline was January 13th. He missed that. Don't know what the implications of that are. It might just be, you know, early spring enrollment. He's going to get the next one. But yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised that his family and him have come out and stated, you know, that Florida is a great place because you don't want to come out as an athlete and say, well, I took the deal just because, you know, it was a lot of money in it. And that's why I'm going to the school, whether or not that's true. So, like you said, seven figures and eight figures, especially for someone that age, not professional sports yet, that's a big deal. It'll be interesting to see if that's a deal breaker. You know, he's not officially the Florida quarterback. He's not on the roster, uh, not enrolled in the school. So, 
yeah, I don't know, potential litigation. And then what does that litigation lead to? Does he stay with Florida or is that, you know, is that the end of that? Does he go somewhere else? Does he go to Miami maybe if he gets a better deal? Yeah, a lot of what ifs going on right now, uh, but certainly one of the biggest NIL deals I've heard of. And like you said, not for someone who's as high profile as an Arch Manning. Yeah, I mean, this is where I think the story gets interesting. And like someone's I get a couple DMs and I'm trying to, you know, I'll save my comments for the podcast because we're still getting all of our stuff out. If you, if you give any type of speculation on Twitter, people will jump in your replies and scream at you. But I think on podcasts, we can put things in their proper context. Question is like, can a lawsuit result from this? And my short answer was like, of course it can. Of course it can. It, it I mean, it's in a sense, it's really not any different from a normal contract, right? It depends what is in the contract what's enforceable, what was said maybe orally to induce someone to sign, but maybe wasn't reduced to a writing. And then, you know, someone's promise, you know, I guess it's promissory estoppel, but how someone relied on on a certain promise that didn't come through. So Jalen Rashada has now like flipped between Miami and Florida, maybe his image is harmed by promises, you know, in being made to induce him to switch from one school to another. There are potentially some NCAA slash NIL violations that occurred if discovery is straightforward. And it's very clear why the recruit was picking a school. I mean, I don't know if people are going to enforce it, but there is still a rule in the books that doesn't allow a student to switch from school A to school B because of a monetary inducement. Um, if it's like cut and dry and that's what's out there, we'll see. We'll see if the NCAA wants to punish the school, if the attorney general in a state, which I don't think will ever happen, wants to somehow you know flex their muscle. But when you're talking about $13 million and you have a deal that goes from an eight-figure deal to reportedly a seven-figure deal, that's some rough math here. That's at least $3 million. I've yeah. had lawsuits that I've helped people follow or file that have been for far less than $3 million. So from an economic perspective, it might be there. So if people are trying to say, how haven't, how come we haven't had any NIL lawsuits yet? You know, I, I will say like, I, there's something I read in that little timeline. Like, Evan, I have a question. How was Billy Napier's news conference delayed? Like, how did they know to delay that news conference? I'm sure someone told him to, you know, like there was another, maybe the deal hadn't come in yet. I'm not sure. Here's this interesting part with collectives, which I, you know, I, I've warned people of all the time. Jalen Rashad is supposed to play quarterback at the University of Florida. That money is coming from an NIL collective. So how does Jalen Rashad know he's going to get playing time, right? Is that because of a conversation he's having with the school or with the collective? But the school and the collective are not really like the school can't wear the uh, this is going to be a terrible analogy. Actually, I'll make it much cleaner. They can't put on like their collective hat and just say, hey, collective, we're going to act as you for a little bit. We're putting in the conductor's hat. OK. We've, we've done our deal going, we're going back to being a school now. Like they can't stand in the shoes of the collective for purposes of making a deal. So I think that's, that's the fear. If you're a Florida or you're a Miami, if you have a, you know, a kid, a young man who is potentially going to sue for $3 million, $3 million is one thing, right? The potential fear of the discourse as in between the school and the collective coming up, that's what I would be fearful of. So, um, Enough people have dropped in my DMs, have asked me privately about this case uh, where it's gotten on the radar. So this is now, you know, between the John Ruiz stuff over at Miami and now this Jalen Rashada stuff. Uh, competition sometimes is good, but, uh, you know, if it's raising the wrong, uh, you know, the wrong antennas, it's not the greatest. So I don't know. Do we miss anything on this Rashada stuff? I mean, I think it's a very interesting storyline to continue following. Yeah, I can't wait for like the end result of this. Uh, I would like to see if there is litigation. I mean, like you said, it's at least $3 million in a difference. So, you know, I think for anyone, that's a ton of money. And especially a kid who this would probably be his first really big paycheck. So I'm sure he's going to want that difference. I will end on a quote I thought was funny from uh, Eddie Rojas, who is the person who runs the collective. Evan, he played, he played professional baseball, collegiate baseball. 
Uh, he played for Florida, actually. Okay, that makes sense. So he's he runs the Gator Collective, and he was a former baseball player at Florida. Yep. So he was quoted as saying, I would venture to say the Gator Collective is paying more guaranteed money than any group in the country. When I write a contract, I want to make sure that we actually have the money in our account. So quoted as saying that, and then a couple months later, about eight months later, sends a letter to Rashada to terminate the NIL deal. So obviously didn't have the money or something changed where he's not willing to pay that money. Uh, so a little bit of a, you know, a little self jab right there. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, you got to at some point brag about the guaranteed money that you have, but um, all of these comments will come up in discovery. So, you know, we'll certainly, certainly uh, watch that one very, very closely. Okay. So Evan, let's, let's move on from the college world to the world of agency. This one came across my radar last week. We didn't get to cover it, but I, I certainly thought it was worth bringing up here. So Evan, do you remember our friend Rusty Harden from the Deshaun Watson saga? Yeah. How could I forget? So Rusty Harden defended Deshaun Watson. I think by and large, Rusty Harden did a, a pretty good job on the case. Deshaun Watson is playing. Uh, there were no criminal cases. So, you know, Rusty Harden used his uh, connections over in Houston. I, that's uh, the rumor and innuendo to maybe uh, uh, work his magic with the prosecutor's office. But story for another day. But Rusty Harden is known as being a, a very kind of heavy hitting attorney. So there's a case now that is pending. It's a legal malpractice case. And I I say this almost like on every other month. We've never covered X. We've never covered this type of case or that type of case. I don't think we've ever covered the legal malpractice case. So I thought this one was an interesting one. So Rusty Harden is involved in this case, not as a lawyer representing someone. He is the lawyer being sued. So there's a sports agent by the name of Ben Dogra, who used to uh, work for CAA, which people know, mega agency. So the story goes like this. I'm going to shoot through a couple of this to get to our fun legal dispute here. So Ben Dogra is leaving CAA um, and he's having a lawsuit against CAA. He leaves them. They're trying to figure out how much money he owes. So he has a lawsuit against CAA based off of money he's alleged to have been owed. I guess under his employment contract, you know, he was alleging that he was wrongfully terminated without cause. There's an arbitration clause. So his case against his former employer, CAA, has to go to arbitration, mandatory arbitration. Do you follow me so far? Yep, I'm with you. Okay. Well, I'm going to make you put your like your GC hat on. You're like your you're like a lawyer, Evan Mattel. You pass the bar. You're in practice. So Ben Dogra comes to you and he goes, "I have this really complex arbitration. Seven figures are in dispute. A lot of money. I'd love to retain you, Evan Mattel. You're the world's greatest. You were conduct rookie of the year back in 2022. You're a shooting star. How much will you charge me for this particular case? What do you think? Just put a ballpark on it. Uh, high profile case." Keep that in mind. Yeah, it's, you know, seven figure case, maybe 100K, 200K. 100K, 200K. If you told me, I mean, that's, I think that's probably high. I don't know, maybe 50, whatever. But you would charge it as a retainer, right? And if you go in and you exhaust that retainer, the person, what we call a little bit of a legal lesson here, a replenishable retainer, if that 250 goes down to, let's say, 25K after the monthly bills, the person puts back in another 250. But that's generally how it works. You know, sometimes you'll pay a very large amount up front as a flat fee. Sometimes, sometimes if you think a case is going to go five years, you could charge a large amount. It's all law firm economics and it's a bargain for exchange as in between the client and the firm. So just giving people a couple options. Now, for this particular case, who did Ben Doger go to? He went to the Rusty Harden, a guy that we know very well that has a pretty good reputation in the field. So Rusty Harden hears the case and he goes, Wow, this seems like you know an interesting case. I budgeted out the time. 
I want to charge you a flat fee all in of $1.575 million. $1.575 flat fee. Okay. What do you think? I'm not going to give you the rest. It's a lot of money. I mean, I think it's insane, especially when you consider what the arbitration had ruled. It's over half of what he got in arbitration. We got to get there. Listen, I might be a jerk, but like, I'll get you there, Evan. You got to trust me. Trust trust your lust for a second. So fast forward, this is a case, um, you know, eventually, and we'll, we'll get to the fun part. Fun fun for some people, not for the person. Yeah, not for others. Not for others. But it's a lawsuit. And again, we we talked about a high seven-figure case, a couple million dollars. So here's where things get interesting. At some point in, in the course of the case, Rusty Harden, uh, his law firm and law firm representing CAA, CA submits what we call a stipulated and agreed set of facts, which includes the amount and scope of damages. So CA puts in a figure and they say that the case, the amount of dispute is worth $2.756 million. So let's do some rough math. So CAA says that the case is worth $2.75 million, right? And our guy, Rusty Harden, is charged $1.575. So that's, what is the difference between like $1.2 million? Yeah. So best case scenario, if you take CAA's numbers for what it's worth, the most that Ben Doger can get back, right, minus fees, is $1.2 million. Because he's paying Rusty Harden $1.5, and then, uh, you know, he's got $1.2 left over. So here's the problem. That number, that $2.75, that was not a stipulated fact by Ben Doger's side, by Rusty Harden. That was a side that the adversary said, that CAA said. So in actuality, that number was determined um, over the course of litigation to be much higher, actually a number much closer to $8 million. The problem, as alleged by Ben Doger now years later, is that Rusty Harden his law firm didn't catch that. They should not have stipulated and agreed that the case is only worth $2.7 million. So fast forward, I'm trimming, uh, getting getting past the, the, the meat and potatoes for a little bit. But this is a case where Rusty Harden and his side ultimately win. They win that $2.7 million. So then like Ben Dogger's like, great, you guys won the case. Like, wait, why are we only getting $2.7 million? That doesn't make any sense. I've, we've submitted all the stuff. The court has found that I'm worth, that I should have been entitled to closer to $8 million, but you've, we've now capped it at 2.75. Whose job was it to review that stipulated and agreed set of facts? Like Rusty Harden, your camp, like, why didn't you realize that sooner? So Rusty Harden won the case, but because he didn't win what should have been the full amount closer to 7.7 because he already agreed to that 2.7 cap. Now, all of a sudden, Ben Dogger's sitting here like, hey, uh, he did a great job, but that great job should have been an excellent job. I should have got an extra $5 million. Evan, that is what we call legal mal. So uh, this is where that $1.5 million flat fee comes into question here because I don't think there's a chance in you know what that Ben Dogra signs up with Rusty Harden for $1.5 million if he knows that the most he could possibly get was 2.7. That doesn't seem to fly. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me, uh, especially if you pay 1.5, you know, you expect the absolute best because, I mean, you're paying grossly over what I think most people would pay in general. And that 1.5, you would expect to get easily that 7.7, especially if you're going to win. To win and then not get what you expect is is crazy. It's a risk reward. It's always a calculus, right? You know, it's not just it's not just dollars and cents. You don't just sue and be like, well, I'm investing 1.5 to win 1.2. Like maybe that makes sense. But there's also the chance that you lose the case and you get zero. So there has to be a risk reward assessment in there. Right. There's no obviously never going to be rough math like I have uh, hypothetically. Right. Let's say I have a client that's paying twenty five thousand to chase fifty thousand to them. It might be worth it. Sometimes you don't sue for the economics. You just want to sue. But the the flat fee aspect and the inflexibility aspect seems 
seems somewhat odd. So the other part here that seems interesting, when you have legal malpractice, again, broad brushstrokes, because we're trying to talk to people in all 50 states across the world, you have to show this element at the end of the day of proximate cause, that the mistake that the lawyer made was one that actually cost you a somewhat concrete amount of money. It can't be speculative. It can't be like, well, uh, my lawyer sneezed during closing arguments and he sneezed on a juror. Therefore, like without that sneeze, we would have won the case. Like speculative, but not seeing the damages that you've you know, signed off on stipulated and agreed to damages. And then you win, you won the case. And the only difference is now that you were capped because you locked yourself in. Like, uh, it's, I don't know, approximate cause between 2.7 and something closer to 7.7. It's pretty clear. It's pretty cognizable what the amount of damages lost are. We're not, we're not making up some numbers. So I think this is an interesting legal mal case to watch. Again, like Rusty Harden, I think, did a fantastic job. And we've only really heard one side of the events. We've heard it from, you know, Ben, ben Dogra's side. But it's an interesting one that that does cross over into sports on a couple levels. So, you know, one one that like maybe is not the sexiest thing, legal malpractice, but we have like majority of lawyers that listen to our show, probably a good one to follow. So I'm happy if people are interested, people want the link. It is up on my feed. But if you can't find it, I'm certainly happy to send it to you. Uh, Evan, what is it? Are you scared to become a lawyer now? You get sued for winning a case? No, I actually think it's really interesting. Um, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, lawyers and athletes, and this is agents and lawyers. Um, so I think that's an important side of it. And this is a case that I've honestly never seen. I've never seen. I, I've seen athletes sue agents. I've never seen uh, lawyers sue agents and vice versa. So I think this is a good one to dive into. And I'm really excited to watch how this uh, breaks down. Trial right now is set for May of 2023. It's not necessarily a new case, one that's just coming out. Obviously, we'll, we will follow this one very, very closely. Okay, let's get to another bizarre case, if we want to call it a case. Robin, what do we want to go I'm with? I'm going to go with Laner. I think it's Laner. Sorry, okay, Golden Knights fans, if it's not Laner. $50 million exotic snake farm and go. Yeah, so... <laughs> so Robin Lehner, goalie for the, the, the Las Vegas uh, Golden Knights, uh, spent... million on exotic snakes from a world-renowned reptile breeder named Ben Rennick. He set up a payment plan, installments $200,000 per quarter. Now, gets interesting when Rennick's wife uh, murdered him. And after that happens, he stopped paying because, well, Rennick's no longer there. But the person who took over Rennick's estate, Charles Thal, I believe, Tal Thal, took over the estate and is now the owner of Rennick's reptiles. And he obviously wants the rest of that money for those snakes. Renner says he's filing for bankruptcy because he doesn't have his affairs in order. And he tried. This is a great one. I've never seen this. He countersued, claiming that maintenance costs and uncontrolled breeding amongst the snakes lowered their value. Why are the snakes going down in value? You have, you have more snakes. Yeah. But then, like, again, you and I don't claim to be experts in snake breeding or anything like that. But you do a little, <laughs> no bit, idea. Of, a little bit of issue spotting, like uncontrolled breeding. Weren't the snakes in his possession at that point? Again, again? yeah. Yeah. Whose fault understand. is that if it's uncontrolled breeding? Separate the males and the guys. I mean, what are we doing? I'm with you. By the way, as a side, I didn't. T- we didn't look up this one. Did you follow this whole like Logan Paul pig farm thing? We following I that? I did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, similar. We can find ways to bring in pets here. Like Logan Paul alleges that he gave his pig away to somebody else, and he gave it to the right person, and it was a great farm. And then that person gives the pig away to somebody else who malnourished it, and all this other stuff. So we can defend. We had Jake Paul. We brought him up on the podcast last week. I can defend Logan Paul a little bit. Guy, I think, uh, you know, I think someone ran with a clickbaity headline. But in that instance, he has displaced himself of possession, not of the pig, not just once, but twice. 
He gave yeah. the pig to someone who then gave the pig to someone else. And then this nice farm, which I don't want to say anything bad about the farm. I don't know who ran with this video, but claim that like this pig that used to belong to Logan Paul was malnourished. It's like, well, it did used to belong to him, but like the chain of command, like Logan Paul yeah, hasn't on the pig. It's not his anymore. Let's go back to our snake example. We have this uncontrollable breeding problem with the snakes. They're in his own possession. Do we have any allegations here where he was displaced of the snakes for any period of time? Like if someone else, like, what do they say? Like a superseding clause here? Somebody else popped in for a little bit? Yeah. And I, and I don't understand either maintenance costs. I, I don't understand how you're countersuing for maintenance costs. You own the snake farm. It's your farm. You have to assume that there's going to be maintenance when you breed exotic snakes. I mean, uh, this is a tough one. I know the creditors are claiming between 10 and 50 million. No idea what, what they're asking for or what that's for, but. Yeah, I mean, Leonard's getting five million a year on his contract. So, if he's getting anywhere from ten to fifty, that's that's quite the dent in the old bank account. It's it's. I mean, like we, you and I are joking about it, but like we spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about. And I, I just had a LinkedIn post earlier today about like how athletes can, I would say, on the field, but on the ice, off the ice, like maximize their on-field earnings. Like we work with some athletes at our firm that like they are no longer playing anymore, but they. And make a lot of money based off of their reputation while during their playing career. Put it that way. I have never heard of, and somebody can uh, write in and tell me I'm wrong. I've never heard of someone investing 150% of their money, not just 100, because he doesn't have 50 million, into yeah. an exotic snake farm. There are far better ways, I would think, to make money than with exotic snake farms. So, you know, you can surround yourself with the greatest trainers and, and everything else. But like from a business standpoint, whoever was advising Laner, Lerner, to let it get this bad, we're, we're, that's where your money's like, you're not even like liquid. Your money's trapped in a snake farm and it's going into abuse and misuse of snakes uncontrollably breeding. Like something is not ending up here. And it's, it was a punchline this past week on, on social, but I'm like, so many athletes lose their money from you know poor investments and car washes and this and that. I'm like, this one is like deservedly the butt of jokes. Like in an exotic snake farm, like I know, like we couldn't it, do like dogs or cats and at least right. have some kind of security. I mean, I don't even know. I'd love to see what like species, exotic snakes, like rattlesnakes, or are we talking like real out there? Because I don't know a lot of people that want to have any kind of snake in their home, let alone an exotic one. Let alone letting them breed uncontrollably. Yeah. <laughs> I God God knows what like the the exponent of these snakes increase to. Like I'm just imagining like a snake room where there's no like floor anymore. It's yeah, just, just a snakes. Pit. <laughs> it is just snakes. Like, I mean, uh, that sounds terrifying. So I feel bad for for Leonard with a lawsuit, a snake room that was probably like at one point like a nice a nice little room with like nice aquarium stuff, and it's just like broken glass and like snakes everywhere. So. Yeah, it's just crawling everywhere. So a bankruptcy claim, you know, we we followed in the past the Evander Kane case. Wasn't there Evan some weird crossover between like a company that loaned Evander Kane money that and that loaned uh, Lanner money that they're they're both they're the same creditors? They're the same. It's the same uh, loan. It's uh, Sure Sports Lending. They do a bunch of loans with all professional athletes. Uh, they're also the ones who were involved in Evander Kane's bankruptcy filing. So no stranger to controversy. Okay. Well, just the story of the bizarre. And this one, I guess we're keeping in, in line with bizarre stories. Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, we had a sense that he was going to get fired as the Cardinals coach. I love this story. This is like, I think, my favorite one on the whole bunch. Go ahead. You you go ahead. I'll I'll, I'll paint the legal stuff after. Like, fill, fill okay, so, in. Yeah, so Cliff Kingsbury, uh, former coach of the Cardinals, when he was brought in, everyone was very excited. Obviously, disappointing season ended with Kyler Murray's ACL injury. That didn't help. 
but uh, obviously Cardinals and maybe Kyler Murray were worn thin with with Kingsbury. So he was terminated. Now he, I don't know if he was quoted as saying it or if it's a rumor, but apparently he has a one-way ticket to Thailand and plans to live it up with the money he's getting from his coaching contract. We're in Thailand. Do we know, is it, is it Phuket? Is it Bangkok? Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm just joking. I don't, I don't know exactly where he's going in Thailand, but you know, Thailand's a, certainly a nice place. I think there's probably some immigration issues if you just book a one-way t- ticket, you know, ticket to Thailand, but um, maybe a story for another day. So what's what's going viral before we get to legal stuff? He's planning, a, I think, you know, comments are he's going away with his girlfriend, uh, his model girlfriend on on this trip to Thailand. So, um, you know, just again, we, we try to give you some fun stuff. We sprinkle it in. This is from uh, the New York Post. Quote, meanwhile, fans of the coach have been checking in on a status in the comments section of Veronica Bielik's Instagram page. I guess that's the girlfriend. Quote, how's Cliff doing? One user wrote another <laughs> S. Can you ask Cliff if he plans on coming back? So, yeah, Cliff, uh, Cliff's going to be taking an extended hiatus. I think he was brought in. Evan, I remember at the time he was like, people were joking that like, oh, he's he's uh, Sean McVay's friend. Like that. They're great friends. It's like, well, that doesn't usually qualify someone to be yeah. a coach in the NFL. And, you know, he was on, I watched, watched a good portion of the in-season hard knocks with uh, the Arizona Cardinals. We'll say Cliff Kingsbury is a, is an odd dude. His teams uh, historically, you know, in the pros, even in college, like we're not national championship winning teams. They were not like undefeated teams. Cliff Kingsbury was in, you know, he was the, one of the architects of the air raid offense in, in college. And Kyler was one of the most prolific passers in college history right around the same time. So a reunion of sorts, but now we go from a union to a pure separation. So Cliff Kingsbury, I'm not sure how quickly he's going to get a job again in the NFL. Maybe he'll head back to college as, uh, you know, sometimes people do, but uh, let's, let's pause here. This is an interesting one. So um, back in the day, before we get back to Kingsbury, there's a guy, Brett Bielema. Are you familiar with Brett Bielema? Yep. Former coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks. He has a falling out. He has a buyout in his contract. He leaves and, you know, he's having trouble getting a head coaching job. So I believe if memory serves in Michael McCann, a friend of the show, had covered this extensively on Sportico. But I believe what happened was that particular buyout clause, I think, stopped paying him once he became a head coach. But if he was like an offensive assistant or something that wasn't like a coordinator, something really high, it continued to pay him. So he could kind of double dip. He could get his buyout money from Arkansas while getting whatever contract he was getting the pros. So I think Bielema was at the Patriots as like an offensive analyst or something while getting the Arkansas money. So Arkansas tried to argue like, we don't have to pay you this money anymore. Either A, you haven't done a good enough job trying to get it or B, like you've fit the criterion of, you know, having this job and and you're now just like not trying to get a job out of spite and you're not trying. So that was a case, you know, I think it has since resolved. I think Bielema, Bielema got his bag, so to speak, got paid something. I don't think he got paid 100% if memory service, but somebody somebody can correct us on that. Now, for Kingsbury's purposes, Evan, is your understanding that he similarly has a requirement in his contract that requires him to seek alternative employment? Yeah, so he he has to do his best to seek employment after involuntary termination. We'll see what the writing on the wall is. If it was, uh, you know, if he was fired for cause or if it was just fired without cause, there's always specifics in the contract about, you know, why someone goes. But if you're entitled to what we'll call in the, in the you know in our world either a buyout or a severance or some kind of post termination payment there are conditions for that so if cliff kingsbury is saying you know what i'm going to go live for the next 10 years in thailand have a nice day the bidwells are going to pay for my salary evan we'll put you on the spot here pop quiz 
do you think that would be satisfying? We'll call it again. I'm not sure if it exactly lines up, but the version of a duty to mitigate damages. If he's just doing nothing and he's living it up on a beach, he's not scouting. He's not putting out videos like Dan Orlovsky online. He's not trying to get additional employment in any way, shape or form. Think that satisfies his requirement? No, I don't think it would. I don't think you could uh, classify sitting out on a beach with your model girlfriend as employment, as much as I'm sure many of us would love to classify that as it. I would agree with that. And I know some people slash one person called me a jerk, but uh, listen, it takes one to no one. If Cliff can't can't let it go, can't let it go. If If Cliff Kingsbury, uh, listen, talk about a tongue twister, Cliff Kingsbury, if he is intent on not coaching and just saying, like, hey, Bidwells are going to be paying for my vacation. Uh, A, it's going to rub a lot of people the wrong way. Let's, let's talk about being able to get employed. If you're just going to say, hey, if it goes sour and, you know, there's a condition in my contract that requires me to get, you know, alternative employment to get paid this buyout. And Cliff just wants to sit on an island or sits, wants to sit in Bangkok for three years. Like, it's not going to go so well for purposes of reemployment. You want to be known as a football guy. For point of comparison, like Matt Rule gets fired from the Carolina Panthers job, right? And what does he do within like a couple of weeks? He's like, I want to go to Nebraska. I want to coach. I'm a football guy. So I don't think rules legacy is harmed in any way, shape or form. But Cliff Kingsbury, like, I don't know, just doesn't seem like he's that into it. So Evan, do do uh, I guess your prediction here? Do we think uh, Kingsbury is going to be like on the coaching trail and trying to get a coaching job? I put that in air quotes. I think you're going to see a lot of rumors, uh, especially I think there's like seven vacant offensive coordinator positions. So I think that uh, you'll probably see his name floated around there. I know the Ravens are one of them. Uh, Ravens could definitely use some help in the past game. So I wouldn't see surprised to see him tied there, but I would expect him if he really is just not into football, he just wants to go relax. I would expect him to at least try to convince them that he is seeking alternative employment in order to get whatever percentage of that buyout he's entitled to. Say what you want about Cliff Kingsbury, but some of those teams were pretty solid. They just collapsed in like the second half of the year and there were injuries. So I think Kingsbury, to the extent that he wants to be a coach in the NFL or at college, he could still do very well. Uh, and I'm sure his lawyer is telling him, hey, let's flip the narrative. Yeah. Let's uh, let's get you uh, interviewing for some of these vacancies that Sean Payton is apparently attached to uh, every single one of them. So I think that's it. We covered a lot, but uh, I think it's about time uh, before we uh, before we end the show. Obviously, we have Matt Timpanic as our guest today. He's going to be talking about the old El Beckham plane incident. And again, that very dark saga now going on, Darius Miles uh, in Alabama University, basketball player. Um, again, we don't pick the stories, but we want to give you a full palette of sports law. So without further ado, let us kick it over to Matt Timpanic, Conduct Detrimental's resident district attorney. Matt Timpanic, our resident DA, back again. Matt, we wanted to have you on. Let's just say this. We we have some fun on our show. Other times we got to deal with the darker side of sports law. So we have cases like that. You're usually our first line of defense, uh, again, as our resident district attorney over here. So, Matt, you know, obviously tragic news coming out with uh, Darius Miles, college basketball player over at Alabama. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty on this podcast or otherwise, but we do need the experts to come in and break down what the accusations are, time frame, the evidentiary standard, all that fun stuff. So, Matt, take it away. From what I've been able to gather on the early morning hours of January 16th, January 15th, 16th, Darius Miles allegedly and his friend, Mr. Davis, shot into another vehicle where there were two passengers after a minor argument. The shooting killed the passenger of the vehicle, and but did not kill the driver of the vehicle. And as such, he was charged, uh, Darius Miles, with capital murder. In the state of Alabama, in order to qualify for capital murder, you have to meet one of the aggravating 
factors, one of which is shooting into a vehicle. The uh, capital murder case in Alabama is punishable by the death penalty. So let, let's stay here for a second. You know, he, Darius Miles is a, you know, he's a he's basketball player at Alabama. He's not like he's uh, setting the world on fire in terms of his on-court performance. I think he started three games over the course of three seasons. Um, kind of grisly allegations, at least what, what I've read, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen the same reports. Um, Darius Miles uh, basically is, is the subject of a press conference, basically saying he's out for the year with an injury. Um, and then like within 24 hours, uh, there's basically his arrest for uh, alleged capital murder. Matt, am I reading that time frame correctly, that he goes from seasoning in the injury to being accused of murder? Yes, this this happened all very quickly a couple of days ago in the early morning hours of January 15th. What is crazy about this case is, like you said, he was just declared to be on injured reserve, wasn't coming back this season. And during that time frame, he gets arrested. He allegedly shoots and kills somebody else and is arrested for capital murder. One thing that wasn't said by the Tuscaloosa County uh, Police Department is they didn't actually say who the shooter was. That is because in the state of Alabama, it doesn't matter under an accomplice theory, if it were, who actually fired the shot. Whoever fired and whoever helped can be charged, the other individual can be charged as a principal. So right now, we know that Darius Miles is charged with capital murder, punishable by the death penalty. But we don't know at this time whether he was the actual shooter, because the way the press conference by worded by the police department is it doesn't really matter who the shooter was and we don't really know because if they knew both were the shooter they would say that immediately another part of this is the alleged driver of the vehicle uh that was shot into actually fired back so i think it's definitely going to set up a situation for the defense attorney of who actually shot first as alabama is a standard ground state so you know it's a tragic case we should mention darius miles 21 michael lynn davis 20 um, the individual uh, that the past here, you know, the victim, um, she was a 23 year old mother. Uh, and there are reports again, you know, we're just just trying to tell people what, what's you know, what's going on out here is that she declined at least either Mr. Davis or Mr. Miles attempts to, you know, uh, to floor with her to have some type of conversation with her. So um, there is surveillance video that's that's supposedly out there, according to the Tuscaloosa Sheriff's Office. Um, but the an investigator there, Brandon Culpepper. Uh, maybe this is somewhat breaking, but according to him, says that Darius Miles admitted to providing Michael Davis with the handgun immediately prior to the shooting. So, Matt, as far as, you know, maybe this is like a law school hypothetical, but for, for Alabama purposes, you're understanding that whoever, let's say Miles provided the gun, he didn't pull the trigger. He's going to be treated the same way under Alabama law just by nature of providing the gun, even if he didn't actually fire it. Well, because it's all in furtherance of a conspiracy, we're in an accomplished principle theory. You don't you don't need to actually commit the offense. But if you were part of it and you helped orchestrate it and carry it out, you can be charged for the same offense. I think ultimately that's going to happen. I think it's going to come out that Mr. Davis was, in fact, the shooter, as like you said about he was the one who actually gave him the gun. But Mr. Miles uh, actually was the one who gave it to him and he participated in it. And it sounds like potentially drove the vehicle away by giving him the gun or being the getaway driver. He himself can be charged with first degree capital murder. However, it is very significant for potentially getting the de- death penalty taken off the table for him. This is a capital case. They are going to 
uh, charge him likely with first degree murder. And if he's charged with capital murder, they can seek the death penalty. However, but when it actually comes time for trial, I don't foresee a jury actually imposing the death penalty if Darius Miles wasn't actually the one who pulled the trigger. Additionally, nowadays it has been exceptionally difficult for one to actually get the death penalty. Uh, Nicholas Cruz, the Parkland shooter, didn't have it imposed on him. Uh, there was a serial killer out of Daytona Beach decided life without parole. However, if they are, either of them are convicted of capital murder, this is important. They must serve 30 years in prison day for day before they are ever eligible for parole if they are convicted. I mean, it's it just so, I mean, these details are just horrendous to look at. I mean, the other parts, we should just paint a little bit of a picture. You know, the, the, the victim's boyfriend, uh, you know, is, is giving portions of the story to the victim's mother. Uh, I'm just reading from an article uh, on CNN. It says, Harris's boyfriend told Cotton, the three of them, that's uh, the victim and her group, were out to getting something to eat after a night out when a man approached Harris and started flirting with her. Quote, he was advancing on her and she declined his attention. He refused to go away. While they were attempting attempting to leave, one gentleman walked up to the car and started shooting. The article goes on. Harris's boyfriend, that's the victim, shot back and hit one of the suspects. So, you know, Matt, I, I again, you're the criminal, you know, you're the criminal defense lawyer. Number one, you've also been on the prosecution side. It seems like what went on here wasn't something that was premeditated for months and months and months. Uh, like again, just by the report that that we were being given, it seems like it was an incident, uh, maybe an altercation that that escalated. But the fact that this wasn't premeditated, right? I, I did some research into the uh, the Cruz, the Parkland shootings way back when. That was something that seemed to have been premeditated for weeks, if not months, on end. Um, is that going to be a factor here? Um, you know, in the state of Alabama, this seemed to be just an incident that that just kind of uh, happened all of a sudden that was not premeditated? Well, remember, let's go back to criminal law. All for, for one to be able to be charged with murder and convicted, all they need to think about it is for a mere moment. It doesn't need to be something that's thought of month, weeks, months, even years in advance. It could be literally thought of for a second. That creates premeditation. Based on what those allegations are, if the individual walks up to the vehicle, shoots into it, under the statute, that individual has committed capital murder. The act of Darius Miles allegedly handing the handgun to Mr. Davis for Mr. Davis to carry out the murder, that in and of itself, Mr. Miles can be charged as a principal, and he's treated in some states no differently under the law. However, when it comes to sentencing, I definitely think if Mr. Miles was, in fact, not the shooter, I think he'd be given more of a lenient sentence. How I think this going down, if the uh, district attorney's office in Alabama is able to make the case, what they would do is potentially flip Mr. Miles for a lesser sentence, take death penalty off the table, maybe charge him with murder too, something of that nature to nail down this case. Okay. While I have you, Matt, let's do a quick transition here. I know um, we didn't plan to talk about it, but I, I know you have some comments on, on your feed. Odell Beckham, did you see that video on the plane? Yes, I did. <laughs> um, I I did as well. I, I got, you know, I was on a plane with uh, two little kids not that long ago, and I'm very familiar with the stresses of travel. Um, what I what I saw in that video, Matt, is someone, again, this is me, this is by, by no means any uh, official report or anything, but it seemed like someone that may have taken some type of uh, you know, a sleeping pill to go asleep to go to sleep on what might have been a long flight. Um, I saw someone that did not seem to be unruly or disruptive by any means. Matt, you are a criminal defense guy. Ah, I, I, 
sure that Odell uh, didn't get the wrong end of the stick here. It seems like flight attendants wanted him off that plane. It doesn't seem like police needed him off. But as our criminal defense guy, as our DA, what are your thoughts on uh, the Odell Beckham video? What, what's been coming out in these last couple of days? I think from a criminal defense standpoint, I don't think there was much unruliness and uh, for taking him off the plane. I think what you're saying is right that the flight attendants, law enforcement wanted him off the plane. However, what is bad is the optics of it. Instead of being like, why are you taking me off the plane and stuff like that? Odell doesn't stop there. He starts getting into it with another passenger. Oh, you're going to be here for several hours and I'm going to be on a private jet in 20 minutes. That's not the type of image any kind of prospective NFL team is going to want for their brand. A guy who is sitting in first class, fighting with other people and being like, ha ha, have fun. Uh, waiting around while I go take my nice private jet because I make so much money. That's not really the type of brand. So I think from a criminal defense standpoint, there's not much there for maybe a resisting arrest without violence charge. That's probably one of the only things and uh, or a civil citation for not following the seatbelt law. But I just think optically how he acted with interactions was not good on his part. So, I mean, let's let's rewind the clock a little bit on Beckham. We actually talked about him um, a couple of weeks ago. He had a lawsuit with Nike that we were trying to suss out. Mike Loss and I did some analysis there. But the last time we saw Odell Beckham on a playing field was uh, last year's Super Bowl, where he tore his ACL. He actually looked very productive. And there was this whole movement over the last, you know, right when we got to the midpoint of the season, like, what team is Odell Beckham going to sign with? The Cowboys were giving all these comments like, we'd love to have him, you know, if you watched. Uh, not to reveal all of my fantasy secrets, but if you watch the uh, the stock market on player editions, the public believed that Odell Beckham was going to sign with the team. And I think why the reason he was on that plane, if memory serves, I think he was actually going to visit with another team or he had just come from a visit that was, was actually in the process of doing this. So all I can tell you is that from that point where he was at his height of uh, being wined and dined by other teams, he goes from that to not signing with anyone. I think T.Y. Hilton uh, gets that that coveted cowboy, cowboy spot at wide receiver. Uh, another guy that just kind of signed off the uh, the scrap heap. Beckham's attorney, and you quoted this on your on your feed. I should mention you're at at Tim Panic Law. You write, "quote At no time was Mr. Beckham disrupted or combative." That's a comment from Daniel Devilliers, OBJ's attorney. So I can tell you that there's probably some harm by Odell Beckham with respect to this incident. And I can tell you that watching the video, I did I did seem to be on Odell's side more than I was before I saw the video. Um, let's say Odell walks into your law office. You are a solo practitioner, Matt. You're, you are the boss. And he says, Matt, here's what happened. We lays everything out. What can I do here? What are my rights, remedies, recourses? Do I have any cause of action against the airline, against security, against these pastures? Do I have anything, Matt? I think I would probably say, I think it's unlikely at best. You see the video and what was actually being done. They have an absolute right to ensure that you put your seatbelt on. They, and it's pretty much posted everywhere. It is announced, I think, some, by the flight attendants that if you don't put it on, you can be removed at, from the plane with no refund. That's pretty much said before every flight. And he was given ample opportunity to just put it on. It's like, like, come on, you're about to take off. This is a safety issue. This We're not at 30,000 feet and the seatbelt light is still fastened. I just think that what he was doing, I'd be like, Odell, I don't think there's much here that you you would probably spend way more than you would actually potentially receive, all of which would force you to uh, fight a PR battle where your this video is constantly replayed and not the part where you're unruly, but where the part where you're arguing and making yourself like 
talk down to another passenger in first class, not a passenger even in economy or premium economy, but in first class, basically taunting him. It's like, hey, my behavior, I'm untouchable. I'm just going to jump on a private jet while you have to wait around. That's just, that's going to be played, and no jury in the world is going to have any sympathy for him. Yeah, I, I'm not not disagreeing with you by any means. And I think what, what people are holding on to is, and people, you know, we employ you to obviously watch the video and don't just take our commentary for it. It looks like the security has called on Odell, who's allegedly being unruly. And they said, we asked him to put his seatbelt on a number of times. And then there's some odd comment that like, are the baby's pants still off? Which I know you heard, which was a very odd comment. Odell Beckham is not a baby. I'm not sure why that was being referenced, but whatever. It appears that they called security while it was still at the terminal to them to come on and check on Odell. Security, and I respected the guy that, you know, he basically said, we don't see any issue with Odell. If you, airline, if you guys have a problem, that's your call. If you want to make that determination, we will enforce it. But we don't independently see something. So there was a moment in this video, like a 30-second window, where it was like, security is not going to pull the trigger here. The airport, you know, the term, the uh, flight attendants didn't want to pull the trigger. So then you kind of have to, so if you get into this realm of like, well, was that selective enforcement in that particular instance? Matt, I can tell you I'm a father of two little girls. Sometimes the seatbelt light is on and I'm not wearing my seatbelt because the kids are screaming and I need to go do X, Y, and Z. You know, did Odell need his seatbelt on? I'm sure there are laws that during takeoff and landing, you need to have it on. Uh, maybe in between it's somewhat you know subjective. But what, what disruptiveness was Odell having? He was sleeping. He just wasn't responding to anybody. That's That's where I would think maybe it pays to retain an attorney just to do some, you know, some investigatory analysis to see what could be there, but short of like something, you know, racist or ageist or something like that. I, I'm not sure there's much here. Yeah. I definitely think that he could at least look into it. But when I watch the video, it's like, okay, this isn't during the middle of flying. It's not like, like I said, where you have two little girls and they're screaming, yelling, you got to take your seatbelt off every once in a while. This is before takeoff. This is like the one absolute time you need to have your seatbelt on where they flight attendants walk by and look like they're um, looking at a Disney ride to make sure you're wearing your seatbelt. And it's the one thing he throws it on. And guess what? Once the plane takes off, if he took it off, probably they wouldn't really care. There's not really much they do about it. Maybe they might say something, but they're still at the gate and they still have the ability like don't make, make us call security. And instead of just be like, all right, hold on, let me just put this on. I don't want to inconvenience the other hundred passengers on this plane, all of which, as a result of his actions, had to deplane. And I think they got delayed by two, three hours. All of that is going to play into it. I'd be like, Odell, nobody's going to want to give you any kind of money. The video, uh, had you just simply kept your mouth shut, people would have probably been primarily on your side that you got the short end of the stick. But instead, you start arguing with somebody else and you make the narrative about something else. His can attorney I, did a good. Can I ask you a question? Can I ask you like the, the million dollar question that no one's talking about? Matt, I, I can swear. I, I don't know this with 100 percent certainty, but like I've gone into a flight, sat down in my seat and passed out immediately. Like bing, bang, I passed out. This is like pre-kids, pre-wife, pre-anything. I'm just traveling alone. I'm out. And when I awake, sometimes my seatbelt happens to be on. Is it possible a flight attendant put my seatbelt on for me? Maybe did I put it on? I have no idea. I actually don't I would not recall that. But like here's the here's the elephant in the room. Odell Beckham is asleep, right? That's what he's being non-responsive when they're trying to get him to put a seatbelt on. 
what is the harm of them putting his seatbelt on? Like, is that in some invasion of privacy? I think on the risk reward level of like putting someone's seatbelt on versus deplaning the entire plane with hundreds of people. I, I think they're a lesser of two evils. So I don't know. If, I don't know if there's some grand conclusion here, but I'm like, this was a whole mess. This guy's free agency is is derailed. The whole plane is is deplane because a guy doesn't have a seatbelt on. Like, I don't know, use some discretion here. Like, put the guy's seatbelt on. Like, uh, is anyone really be that offended if you put a seatbelt on for somebody? Remember, like during COVID, I remember I flew, I think, July 2021 out to Albuquerque, New Mexico from uh, JFK. And I remember when I'm, I think my wife is sitting in the middle, I'm sitting on the aisle, and there's somebody on the, actually, no, it was a person behind me sitting in the aisle. The flight attendant tries to wake the person, like, hey, put your mask up, put your mask. The flight attendant walks over and just puts the mask up on her face, the individual's face. What I think happened based on seeing that it was kind of like a bed that Odell Beckham was actually in, not just a first class chair, but like the cabin ones. I think he was lying down and the seatbelts weren't in a position where the flight attendant couldn't actually reach them without waking him. So instead of like kind of going down and grabbing and creating an incident, they're like, hey, Mr. Beckham, I hate or sir, I hate to wake you. I need you to put on your seatbelt. Uh, uh, what, what? Uh, can you just put on your seatbelt? And after a few times asking, even somebody on a very sleeping pill would be like, yeah, sure, hold on, all right, and then fall back asleep. And that doesn't that didn't happen. So I think that it could have been handled a little bit differently from both sides. But, uh, but in the end, it's, all right, sir, they have a right to mandate that you wear your seatbelt. And all they he had to do, and also Odell needs to be smart enough to know that in this day and age, everybody has a camera. Everyone is taking video. This is a celebrity. This is a guy who's won a Super Bowl, one of the famous catches in the history of the NFL. People are going to take a video of this. And instead of you just putting on your seatbelt, going back to sleep, and on to your next destination, you refuse to. Then you get combative. Then you start talking down to another passenger, all of which are caught on video. I've said this before, and I will say this again in Willie McGinnis' case, Alvin Kamara, you name it. Nobody cares until there's a video. Uh, that narrative from his uh, attorney is like, oh, he wasn't unruly and disruptive. That's what was running with until there was a video. Once it was, it was like, okay, I think he's half right. But also he's being a nuisance. He's being not a nice guy. He's being condescending to somebody else. All of which is not someone you want in a wide receiver and somebody you're going to pay millions of dollars a year to. Agreed, Matt, and the proof's in the pudding because nobody signed him. Matt, always a pleasure having you, our resident DA. You can find Matt Timpanic at Timpanic Law on all forms of social media. Thanks as always, Matt. Thank you, Dan. So that was Matt Timpanic, our resident DA. Matt always does a fantastic job. Sometimes, again, the stories can be dark, they can be light, but Matt uh, always gives us fantastic analysis. So, Evan, you've been sitting with me for, you know, uh, an hour or so, 45 minutes. An hour or so. Yep. how many jerk tendencies have you seen over the course of this? Uh, I would say none. I do think uh, I think maybe you, you do need to leave your office, maybe grab a drink and uh, let that one go. You got 99 good ones and you got one bad. I think uh, most of us would take that record. I got 99 problems, but being called a jerk twice, ain't one. Only was called a jerk once. Only was called a jerk once. Well, we have a lot of fun here. Again, if you're listening to this episode, if you have questions about why this is not showing up in your feed, we would appreciate uh, subscribing to our new feed. And uh, you'll be seeing some changes with Conduct Detrimental in the next couple of weeks and months. 
some video portions. You know, we're trying to have some fun, but we always invite people to uh, contribute to our website. Evan, I know you are working on uh, some fun announcements on the contributor side. The award stuff coming out. Uh, I think, again, we're shooting for February 1st, right around there. But uh, yeah, we have a lot of fun over at Connect. So if you do want to get involved, you want to write articles, you want to be involved in the editorial side in some way, shape, or form, reach out. We are happy to bring you into the fold. Evan, I will leave you the last word. What are you, uh, what are you feeling as you start your ascent on sports law? Your first sports law class like, happening in about an hour? Yeah, about uh, 50 minutes. I am excited. I wish it wasn't at 8 p.m., but, you know, sports law does not stop. And uh, this just says a lot about my character. I'm willing to grind at any time of the night for sports law. That is true. Doing a podcast about 7 o'clock when you're supposed to have your class at 8. Uh, yep. Don't tell Professor Bua. Uh, you're not going to be late, so if he's listening to this. Evan is not late because of me. I'm giving him ample, <laughs> ample time, but all good, all good. So for Dan Wallach, myself, Evan, all of us here at Connect Detrimental, Evan, we wish you a great first class. And to everyone else, we'll see you next time on another episode of Connect Detrimental. <laughs>